0: Imagine one day you step outside your front door only to be greeted by a frantic neighbour. They're deeply distressed, having just returned from a nearby town which has descended into violence. People you have known your entire life have turned on their own neighbours who are sick and after accusing them of plotting a coup, have started to interrogate them and burn them alive. Strange as this sounds, it is in a nutshell the basis of an actual conspiracy theory that gripped France in 1321 with terrifying consequences resulting in the deaths of hundreds if not thousands of people. In this episode we will look at these strange events that gripped medieval France and how they related to unsettling chapters in Irish history later that same decade. Seven centuries may have passed since the 1320s but these strange events you are about to hear also help contextualise the conspiracy theories that are gaining traction around us today. While countless newspaper columns have tried to explain this phenomenon of conspiracy theories in 2020 and social media is often blamed, these bizarre events from the 1320s reveal conspiracy theories have existed for a long, long time and explaining why people are drawn to them is not as simple as blaming social media. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWire, and this is The Leper's Plot, a medieval conspiracy theory. After 6 episodes investigating Ireland's oldest cold case in the road to O'Crohan, today we turn to the late Middle Ages, one of my favorite periods in history. The story of the Leper's Plot is something that has fascinated me since I first came across it several years ago. I've always wanted to do a show on it and now the current climate seems very timely. First things first though, I want to say a really heartfelt thanks to everyone who has signed up on Patreon in the last few weeks. I haven't really talked much about what's coming up next year, but I have really exciting plans which are only possible because of the support of listeners like you on Patreon. I've already started work on the series on the War of Independence, which will be the main focus of 2021. The series will be 24 episodes long and will take you back to the struggle for Irish independence beginning on World War I battlefields and the chaotic aftermath of the 1916 Rising. This series on the War of Independence will be released weekly and this is only possible because of the generosity of listeners on Patreon who have allowed me to bring on board the historian, researcher and archivist Sam McGrath. The series will be enhanced by narrations of accounts from the time by professional voice actors This will help create a sense of time and place. Now the first few episodes are nearly ready to go and the series will launch early next year. You can support the show and this work at patreon.com forward slash irish podcast and get access to ad-free episodes that are released a week early along with bonus content on the War of Independence. I'll have more details on this in coming episodes. And now to the leper's plot. I want to acknowledge one article before I begin that I extensively quoted from in this podcast. It's called Lepers, Jews and Muslims, the Plot to Overthrow Christendom in 1321 by Malcolm Barber. It was very useful for translations of original sources. As is often the case with conspiracy theories, the precise origins of what would become known to history as the Lepers plot remains obscure. It probably emerged in the south of modern-day France, although how it began, who started it and for what purpose is now lost to history. In all probability, most of its adherents in the 14th century had little idea either. In spite of its hazy origins by the spring of 1321, a rumour that claimed a lethal plot to destroy the Kingdom of France was afoot began to spread rapidly. Like all conspiracy theories, it's hard to pin down the precise details because it changed rapidly over time and varied from place to place. Early versions accused lepers in the Kingdom of France of having formed a secret pact to spread disease to the healthy population. The writings of Bernardo Gui, a Dominican friar who you might be familiar with if you've read Umberto Eco's novel The Name of the Rose or seen the film adaptation, remains one of the key sources for the plot. Gui, a deeply conspiratorial figure, and a leading individual in the medieval inquisition in the 14th century, summarised the leper's plot in the following terms. There was detected and prevented an evil plan of the lepers against the healthy persons in the kingdom of France. Indeed, plotting against the safety of the people, these persons, unhealthy in body and insane in mind, had arranged to infect the waters of the rivers and fountains and wells everywhere by placing poison and infected matter in them and mixing into the water prepared powders so that healthy men drinking them or using the water thus infected would become lepers or die or almost die, and thus the numbers of lepers would be increased and the healthy decreased. If this supposed plot came to fruition, it was claimed that the lepers would seize control of the Kingdom of France. While this summarised the general overall conspiracy, the specific details were even more lethal and dangerous. A surviving testimony of one individual accused of involvement in the plot gives us an insight into how this conspiracy grew as it spread becoming an all-consuming plot in the summer of 1321. The testimony is that of a man called Guillaume Magasse, who was one of the many victims of this wild theory. Guillaume was head of the leper colony in the city of Parmiers which is located 65 kilometers to the south of Toulouse. In the summer of 1321 he was accused of being involved in the leper's plot. Now to face accusations of this kind in the medieval period had extremely grave implications. Guillaume was interrogated and tortured before being hauled before a representative of the Bishop of Parmier who, as chance would have it, was Jacques Fournier, the future Pope Benedict XII. Over the summer of 1321 Guillaume would go on to testify on three separate occasions. His testimonies provide a great insight into how the conspiracy was morphing and developing as it spread. He first appeared before the bishop's representative in June and at this hearing Agassé stated that late in the previous year of 1320 two lepers from Parmier, Guillaume Normand and Fertand Espagnol, had travelled to the city of Toulouse. In the city they had been given poison and on their return to Parmier they set about poisoning the wells and fountains according to Agassé. This was the conspiracy in its simplest form. However, within seven days, Agassiz's story had changed, presumably at the prompting of his interrogators. When he was hauled before the bishop's representative for a second time, his account was considerably different. In this telling of events, Guillaume implicated himself. He now was the one who had travelled to Toulouse to get the poison. He claimed he had received a letter in 1320 from the head of the lepers of Port Arnaud, calling him to a meeting in Toulouse. At this meeting, hosted by an individual called Bernard of Toulouse and attended by around 40 lepers, the assembled crowd were told, You see and hear how they hold us in derision and censure and disrespect. In this new version of events, the lepers had a powerful ally in the Muslim king of Granada. Guillaume also claimed that at this meeting in Toulouse he had been given bags of poison and when he returned to Parmier, he claimed he set about his work of poisoning water sources in late May 1320. While his story had changed somewhat between his first and second appearance before the bishop's representative, when Guillaume Agassé appeared for a third time a month later, in early July 1321, it had become even more fantastical. Presumably racked with guilt, he now retracted his testimony against his fellow lepers, who he had originally implicated. He now said that these two men, Guillaume Normand and Fertin d'Espagnol, were innocent. In his third version of events, the numbers who attended the meeting in Toulouse, had swelled from 40 to 50 or 60. While this might be dismissed as a minor inconsistency, he also claimed there were attendees from other regions in France, thereby enlarging the scale of the plot. Names also changed. The host of the meeting, who had initially been called Bernard of Toulouse, was now called Jourdain. By July, Guillaume Gassé was also claiming the allies of the supposed conspirators not only included the King of Granada, but also the Sultan of Babylon. These Muslim leaders supposedly wanted the lepers to deny Christ. It was said at a future meeting the lepers would be called on to spit on the cross of Christ and upon his body and also that the body of the Lord and his cross should be trampled underfoot. These details are significant and I'll come back to them later on. While it goes without saying that his testimonies were fabricated, Guillaume Gasse was probably a victim of the lepers plot rather than an advocate of it. He had been targeted presumably because, as head of the leper's colony in Parmier, he had been a prominent leper in the city. He, like many lepers, had been interrogated under torture, so his claims reflected the views of his interrogators rather than his own. However, regardless of whether they had been extracted under coercion and torture, testimonies like that of Guillaume Gasse and others fueled what were growing fears across the Kingdom of France in the summer of 1321. As it spread, the conspiracy theory, as tends to happen, became only more extreme and fantastical. It began to dovetail and amalgamate with pre-existing conspiracy theories and prejudices. As we have seen, Muslims, who had become the focus of animus in Europe since the first crusade in the 1090s, were implicated in this broader conspiracy to destroy Christianity in France. Letters in French, supposedly translations from Arabic, were produced and used to support the claims. However, when the leper's plot began to incorporate one of the oldest conspiracy theories in medieval Europe, anti-Semitism, this had lethal implications for the Jewish community in the Kingdom of France. Recently, I had a minor argument with a close friend that brought up things from my past that I really needed to get off my chest. I think we've all been there. Now, I found therapy a really great way to work through these issues. For me, I really like online therapy, and BetterHelp is a really great online service that allows you to make space for therapy no matter how busy you are. BetterHelp is convenient, affordable, and gives you the support you need, but also works around your schedule. It's really easy to get up and running with a therapist on BetterHelp. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do your sessions by text, phone, or video call, whichever suits you best. It's all about flexibility, working around your schedule. At the moment, BetterHelp are offering listeners to the show ten percent off their first month. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp dot com slash Irish History today to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P dot com slash Irish History. Jews had for centuries been a marginalized and discriminated minority in medieval Europe. European antisemitism centred around ludicrous accusations that Jews exerted disproportionate influence and also something called blood liable, the accusation that Jews used human blood in rituals. Unbelievable as they are, these had led to large-scale pogroms as early as the 1090s as the first crusade left Europe when large numbers of Jews were murdered. Over the following decades and centuries Jews had repeatedly been the focus of attacks. Indeed in the year before the Leper's Plot emerged Jewish communities in the Kingdom of France had yet again been the target of violent pogroms. What is often called the Shepherds' Crusade, a shambolic attempt to reorganise the Crusades, resulted in little more than a major outbreak of anti-Semitic violence in the Kingdom of France. In the following year of 1321, as the Lepers' plot gained ground, anti-Semites began to accuse Jews of being involved. One chronicle reported that it was Jews who had supposedly given the Lepers the poison and money to carry out the plot. Through that summer, violent attacks against Jews and lepers broke out across the kingdom. These were at times coordinated from above but also appeared to have erupted spontaneously in some areas. Royal officials at Chinon burned 160 Jews in a pit while a chronicle from Nangus to the southwest of Paris recorded that Jews had been burned indiscriminately, especially in Aquitaine. Lepers were also targeted in mob violence leading to horrific events such as this one recorded by the Inquisitor Bernardo Gui. In many places, in detestation of the horrible act, the lepers, both men and women, were shut up in their homes with all their things, and, fire having been applied, they were burnt by the people without any judgment. These actions were validated by the King of France, Philip V himself, who issued orders to round up the supposed leper conspirators, and, as is so often the case with modern conspiracy theories, The wave of violence was followed by those who sought to profit from the attacks on the Jews and lepers. The French king, Philip V, for example, was said to have taken around 150,000 livres from Jews who had been accused at the time. Likewise, the property of lepers was also seized. How many died is unclear, but it certainly ran into the hundreds if not thousands. What brought the terror to an end is also unclear, but it seems to have run its course by the end of 1321, although trials did continue. Guillaume Agassi, whose testimony we heard earlier, was sentenced to life in prison in 1322. Bewildering as these events were, none of what we have heard so far explains why all this took place. In many ways, this is what interested me most about these events. It not only helps us understand this bizarre and unsettling chapter in history, but also might offer some explanations as to why conspiracy theories are gaining ground 700 years later in 2020. When we try to explain the Leper's Plot and why people acted so irrationally it's important to acknowledge that this was not the first major conspiracy to grip medieval France. If anything conspiracy theories were far more embedded in the medieval understanding of the world in the 1320s than they are today. And to understand the context of the Leper's Plot we need to look at what one historian has called the murkiest affair of the Middle Ages. This was the controversy around the dissolution of the Knights Templar which fomented a very conspiratorial understanding of the world. While you might be familiar with modern conspiracy theories around the Knights Templar, made famous by Dan Brown in his novel The Da Vinci Code, these fabrications have no relation to the actual history of the organisation. Indeed, somewhat ironically, these modern conspiracy theories obscure what was a very real conspiracy that took place in 1307 to destroy the order, one that shaped how French society understood the world. The Knights Templar, a military order of warrior monks, had been founded in the Kingdom of Jerusalem in the early 12th century at the height of the Crusades. Their original role was to defend Christian pilgrims in the Middle East and they soon became integral to the defence of the Crusader kingdoms. In the first century of their existence they had become immensely wealthy and powerful. However, in the late 13th century the order faced an existential crisis after the Crusades ended in defeat in the 1290s. In the aftermath, of the Crusades, the Order struggled to adapt and find a new role in what was a changed world, yet at the same time they remained a very powerful organisation with what amounted to a standing army and a financial arm similar to a modern bank. Given their enormous power, tensions began to rise between the King of France, Philip the Fair, and the Order. What the precise point of conflict was remains unclear and is still debated by historians. However, in the early years of the 14th century, Philip had come to the view that the Templars were an enemy and had settled on their total destruction. Through the autumn of 1307, he secretly planned simultaneous raids on the Templars across his kingdom. Large numbers of Templars were arrested in coordinated raids on October 13th, 1307. To justify this controversial act of attacking a monastic order, Philip then accused the Templars of being heretics embellished by wild and outlandish claims. The Order were accused of having secret initiation rites where they spat on the crucifix and forged a pact with the forces of evil. They were also accused of engaging in gay sex and worshipping a false idol. Confessions were extracted under torture to support these claims and the entire affair ended with dozens of Templars being burned at the stake in 1310 and the complete dissolution of the Order in 1312. Such a high-profile conspiracy, validated by none other than the king himself and to a lesser extent the ecclesiastical authorities who did Philip's bidding by turning on the Templars, naturally had an impact on wider society. We can see its direct influence on the lepers' plot of 1321. For example, one of Guillaume Gassier's most outlandish claims talked of the lepers being asked to attend a meeting where they would have to spit on the cross, identical to the charge made against the Templars. While it's clear that the Leprous Plot was not the first medieval conspiracy theory and built on previous ones, much like today, this doesn't explain why they surged in popularity in 1321. This was rooted in the hardships of life and a growing anxiety about the future. In the years after 1315, Northern Europe was engulfed in one of the most difficult periods in centuries. It began when a famine engulfed a huge swathe of land from Ireland to Russia between 1315 to 1317. In some areas, like Ireland, where it was compounded by conflict, it dragged on into 1318. Estimating population losses is difficult, but historians speculate that deaths from starvation and famine-related diseases may have been well in excess of 10% of the overall population. Life did not return to normal when the famine subsided. It was followed almost immediately by a disease which devastated cattle herds. Jacques de Turin, a cleric in France, talked of a failure of animals and a general sterility in the land. A monk in England described the impact there in the following terms. In the course of 1319 a great pestilential mortality of cattle grew strong through all of England as no one had seen before. In this pestilence a miraculous thing occurred, whereby both dogs and birds that were feasting on the bodies of the dead cattle swelled up right away and died of infection. After this there was no person who presumed to taste bovine flesh, lest having been infected they might succumb. Indeed at Easter the plague began at Essex and continued through the whole year. It was also said that at this time all of France was infected with the same disaster. Probably a deadly outbreak of rinderpest, or possibly foot and mouth disease, this would have had dire consequences at the time beyond anything we can imagine. Naturally, meat and dairy became more expensive and impossible to get in some regions. However, arguably even more serious was the fact that many communities were stripped of their beasts of burden. This would have left humans with little option but to take the place of these animals, to pull ploughs in order to sow crops. These difficult times cast a long shadow over life through the 1320s. Given the scale of the outbreak, cattle remained scarce through much of Europe in the following decade. This created a very real and understandable natural anxiety about the future and what it held for people. This was compounded by the fact that people did not understand why they were suffering these hardships and had no sense of when their lives would improve. This provided fertile ground for a conspiracy theory like that of the leper's plot. When it emerged, it gained traction given it was a very simplistic explanation to what were very complex problems. Ultimately, the population faced a series of problems that were completely outside their control. Famine had been caused by repeated wet weather, and similarly the loss of cattle stocks was as a result of diseases that people did not understand. A conspiracy theory that alleged well poisoning could explain at least some of their difficulties was far more comforting than facing the reality that they simply had no idea what was happening. Like modern conspiracy theories it also rested on strong symbolic associations. Fountains and wells were the source of fresh water, essential to life and in many ways the physical representation of a community's well-being. The idea they had been poisoned symbolised the wider difficulties people faced. Indeed conspiracy theories focused on wells would re-emerge in a very different crisis 27 years later when the Black Death struck Europe. The connection between the difficulties In life and the emergence of conspiracy theories is supported by events in Ireland in the 1320s as well. The difficulties facing people in Ireland in those years after 1315 were arguably even worse than those facing the Kingdom of France. As has been covered in previous episodes, the deadly famine affecting Northern Europe was compounded in Ireland by a Scots invasion. In May 1315, Edward Bruce, the brother of the King of Scotland landed an army in Ulster which triggered three years of warfare. As was common in the medieval period, the opposing armies engaged in scorched earth tactics to deny supplies to their enemies which only added to the food shortages. While the invasion was defeated in 1318, the animal pandemic that had taken such a great toll in France reached Ireland in 1321 creating further problems. As people faced a very uncertain future, they, like the people in France had been, were ripe for conspiracy theories that could explain why life was so difficult. However, the conspiracy theory that took root in Ireland at the time was very different from the leper's plot in France. In a series of events covered in detail in previous episodes on my book 1348 A Medieval Apocalypse, a conspiracy theory of a kind took hold in Kilkenny in 1324. Early that year the local bishop Richard Le Drede accused a wealthy merchant, Alice Kitter, of witchcraft. While our understanding of these events is heavily distorted by modern misconceptions of witchcraft, It was, at its heart, a conspiracy theory forwarded by Ladred. In seven charges levelled against Kittler, he accused her and 11 others of having formed a secret pact and that they acted in league with demons to prey on the innocent in Kilkenny. He alleged they practised demonic rituals, denied Christ and plotted through the use of potions to manipulate and ultimately murder people. After what was a prolonged affair, Bishop Richard Ladred successfully charged Alice Kittler and her co-accused this resulted in one of their number, Petronella of Mead, being burned at the stake in Kilkenny in 1321. While both conspiracies, the Leper's Plot and the Kilkenny Witchcraft Trial, were rooted in the difficulties people faced in their daily lives, we can also see evidence of more abstract concerns, as is often the case in conspiracy theories. The early 14th century was a time of major change in Europe. The Christian Church, which was among the most powerful and important institutions of the time, was undergoing huge change and entering a period of crisis. The Crusades had come to an end in 1291 and a sense that Christianity after centuries of expansion was on the back foot gained ground. This was only compounded by events in Rome where the papacy itself was entering a period of decline. A conflict between Boniface VIII, the Pope, and the King of France had seen the Pope badly beaten when he tried to excommunicate the French King. This resulted in the Pontiff's death. In the coming years, the King of France exerted huge influence on the selection of popes and the papal court moved to Avignon in the south of France. This began what is called the Babylonian captivity, a period associated with corruption and decline in papal history. The precise impact this would have had is difficult to determine. However, it undoubtedly deeply troubled leading church figures who, as we have seen, played a prominent role in both conspiracies. While it's clear some aspects of these medieval conspiracies were very much rooted in the medieval understandings of the world, there are clear echoes of modern conspiracy theories as well. This can be seen in the two primary targets of the Leper's Plot, Jews and Lepers. Most conspiracy theories tend to vent their fury on marginalised powerless groups. In 1300, there had been around 50,000 Jews in the Kingdom of France, which was less than 1% of the wider population. In all truth, their numbers had probably declined substantially by 1320. Jews had been expelled from France in 1306 and only allowed to return in 1315. Similarly, in the 1320s, lepers would have represented a very small, marginalised section of the population. What unified both Jews and lepers was a shared marginalisation. Both were seen as outsiders in their own communities, leaving them vulnerable and the focus of suspicion. This thread of targeting outsiders and marginalised groups ran through the entire leper's plot. In his initial testimony, Guillaume Agassé named two lepers who he claimed had poisoned wells in his local area. They were the two men mentioned earlier, called Guillaume Normand and Fertand Espagnol. It's interesting that both men's names indicate they were probably not from Parmier, where Guillaume Gassé lived. Parmier is located in the south of France, but Guillaume Normand's surname suggests he was from Normandy, which in the late Middle Ages was very remote from the south of France. Similarly, Fertin d'Espagnol, as his name suggests, was from the Spanish side of the Pyrenees Mountains, making him an outsider as well. Accusing marginalised powerless groups of a conspiracy to seize power seems to be self-contradictory. It immediately begs the question, how could people affect such a plan if they are so marginalised? However, this aspect reveals the true nature of conspiracy theories, whether modern or medieval. They are not rational reactions to problems we face. They are rooted in emotions, and one in particular, fear. They offer simplistic solutions to complex problems, often falling back on pre-existing prejudices and fears. They are not really about solutions, but rather precisely the opposite, ignoring the complex problems societies face and venting anger on what are often marginalised, vulnerable and all too often groups who cannot defend themselves. Having drifted very close to the present, that's where I'm going to wrap up this episode folks. Next week I'll a very different show on the forgotten history of women's lives in a rural Irish town made with the Care Women's History Group. So until next time, Slán.